Oh. I, I haven't even asked how you were doing yet. Um, I'm Corey. I still come to church here. Uh, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Josh called me last week and he said someone from the Woodbury campus uh, came up to him and was like, hey, did you know Corey has left the church? <laughs> And Josh goes, if he did, I would have known, right? You know, but uh, no, I haven't left. I'm here. I'm good. I took two weeks and let some other people teach, which Greg and Tammy did a fantastic job last week, right? Yeah, and Tammy told me that she was nervous, and I was like, you didn't seem nervous. In fact, you were a lot better than Greg, but uh, no, no, that's not true. He was fantastic. But um, so for the last three weeks, if you're new to the church, we've been doing it a little bit differently, and we'll get back because everyone's been asking about Revelation, so let me, I'll, I'll fill you in on where we are on that. Um, the last three weeks, we've been doing stuff on the family, like the literal family, mother, father, sister, brother, family stuff, and how important that is, and how that needs to grow and be healthy. And um, I alluded to, I guess, three weeks ago when I taught my little spiel on family, I alluded to the spiritual family as well. And we talked about that, and that's what we're going to do today. We're going to talk a little bit about missions, but it's not like a missions weekend thing. I'm not going to do that. I'm just going to talk about how all of us in this room are commanded by Jesus to go. Go may be your neighborhood. Go may be another part of the world. Go may be your school or whatever the case may be. But we're going to talk about how all of us as believers are called to go. Go and spread the word and to do good deeds for other people. So we're all missionaries. That's what we're going to talk about a little bit today growing the spiritual family. Now, when it comes to the book of Revelation, if you're new to the church or if you've never been here, our, our sweet spot here and where we kind of hang our hat is we go line by line, chapter by chapter through books of the Bible. We spent about 10 months in the book of Acts, and so uh, we're going to get into the book of Re Revelation soon, but there's a couple of things I got to get done before then. One, I'm going to teach the book of Jude before we get into that, don't, it's one chapter, right? So we're going to do the book of Jude in one weekend. We'll do it next weekend. And um, that's going to set up Revelation because that's the book that comes right before it. And it really kind of sets the tone of what was going on at the world when uh, the Revelation was kind of given to John. And so that kind of leads into it. And that's what we'll do. But this week, we're going to talk about the spiritual family. And we're going to talk about how God wants the spiritual family to grow here in our city how the spiritual family is to grow in our nation, and how the spiritual family is to grow globally. And we're going to kind of hit on that a little bit today, okay? So, and a lot of people have been asking about uh, when I took the trip to Uganda, I'm going to share just a, a little bit about that at the end and show you some pictures and show you some, show you some pictures of uh, Kyle's trip to Togo, Africa, and, and just briefly talk a little bit about that as well. So, um, okay, you should have a notes handout. If you have that, it has everything I'm going to say and everything that's going to be up on the screens or in that. If you have the app, the Experience Community app, right, it's the, the talk of the cyber world. If you download that, I don't know why I think that joke's funny. But anyways, if you download that and if you click on service times and sermon notes, has everything in there and we should be good to go. So I'm going to pray. We will uh, jump into this lesson today, see where the Lord leads us. We'll do the book of Jude. We'll jump into the book of Revelation and we'll be in that for, for quite some time, okay? So, um, all right, let's pray. Lord Jesus, we love you. We thank you, God. I am so happy, Lord, to be back uh, teaching again, God. Thank you, Lord, though, for Dave and Michelle and for, for Greg and Tammy and the wonderful lessons that they taught and just enlightening us, God, and, and, and teaching us. And Father, Lord, we pray for every church in our community this morning. We pray for our city, God. We pray for our nation. We pray for every believer on planet Earth. We pray, God, that we can be the salt and the light to people that don't know you, that we can do good works, Lord, and that you will be glorified and not us. 
pray, God, for every nonprofit we work with, Lord. And um, we just pray for us today, God, that you will fill us and encourage us and speak to us and lead us, God. We love you, we thank you, and we praise you, and we say all of this in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, so we've been talking a lot about the family. Now, if you go to the very beginning of your Bible, I mean the very beginning, chapter 1 of Genesis, when God creates Adam and Eve, the first thing he kind of commands them to do is to go out and grow humanity. That was all of known humanity at that time. And so God wanted more people because God wanted more people to have a relationship with. He didn't need us, but he wanted us. So he told Adam and Eve, go, make more humans so I can have relationships with more humans. Now, let me stop there for a second. If you're in this room and you cannot have children or, or you're not married and so you haven't had children, there's nothing wrong with you. It's not that God looks at you any less or anything like that because you haven't personally been able to grow humanity. Now, God knew that there would be people who would not take humanity seriously, and that's why we have people who step in and adopt and help, and God knew that people wouldn't be able to biologically have children. So it says in the New Testament that perfect religion and undefiled religion is taking care of widows and orphans. And so don't think you're anything less if you haven't had biological children. That's not what the Scripture means. And so Jesus also redefined for us in the New Testament, though, that family is not just flesh and blood. It goes beyond that, that we have a spiritual family. In fact, there was one time when Jesus was talking and he was interrupted and they said, hey, Jesus, your family's waiting for you. They meant literal family, mom and brothers, and they, this literal family, which Jude was one of those, by the way. So they said, hey, your family's waiting for you out there. And Jesus said, hold on a second. Everyone you see in this room that, fathers, uh, that follows my father's will, these are my brothers, these are my sisters, these are my mothers. And Jesus wasn't diminishing the biological or physical family. He loves the biological and physical family. He wasn't diminishing that. But he was setting a precedent that the spiritual family is even more important than the physical family. And that we have this huge family when we all are under Jesus Christ. So not only was the physical family commanded to grow, in the New Testament, the spiritual family was also commanded to grow. We call this the Great Commission, and I'm going to show it to you here in a second because it's the linchpin of this whole lesson today. And in Matthew 28, Jesus essentially tells humanity to do the same thing that God told humanity in Genesis chapter 1, to go out and grow. Except this time, the growth wasn't going to be by biological birth, it was going to be by a spiritual birth, that people are going to be born again, and this time they are going to be born into the family of God. Now, this is one of the most important scriptures in your entire Bible. This is one that we should all have a rudimentary knowledge of, that we should be able to, most of us should be able to quote this, or at least get really, really close to paraphrasing this. This is one of the most important things we can learn in the Bible. Jesus looks at his followers after he has died on the cross and resurrected. He's about to ascend into heaven. And Jesus looks at his followers and he says, now go. Go, therefore, make disciples of all nations. Baptize them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Teach them to observe everything that I've commanded you. And remember, I'm with you. You're not alone. So when you go out, I'm right there with you. But go. All of you are commanded to go. So here's the thing about us, you and I. We were designed to move. 
Physically, we were designed to move. If one does not move physically for a long enough period of time, it will kill you, that it is bad for our physical bodies. If you're into old cars, the worst thing you can do to an old car is just let it sit for a long time. It's not good for it. You have to drive it. You have to like make it move. Spiritually, we always have to be moving, evolving, changing, growing closer to Christ. And what makes spiritual movement even more important than physical movement is physical movement may keep you alive a little bit longer, may keep you a little bit healthier. Spiritual movement ensures that you will never die. John 3, 16. I know this body dies, but when we are spiritually moving towards Jesus, we inherit everlasting life, life for eternity. And so this spiritual movement, this going out, is not just about ourselves, it's also about other people. Here's the thing, Christianity has seasons, or at least it should have seasons. It's just like biological birth, right? If you're in here and maybe you've never had kids, I'll just let you know. When you have a baby, like they give you nothing in return. Like they just take and take and take, and they don't give anything back. Like a woman doesn't get done breastfeeding, and then the baby's like, oh, hey, thank you. Can I make you eggs for breakfast now? I mean, like that doesn't happen. Babies do nothing for you. They just take. But eventually... They grow, I don't know if you guys knew that or not. Eventually, (laughs) babies though grow up and they become mature adults and then they start contributing back. They do start giving, right? And that's how the cycle goes. That's how it's supposed to be in spiritual growth as well. Unfortunately though, most Christians stay in a stage of spiritual infancy. We never grow up. We continue drinking, right? And we continue just, as the Bible says, taking the milk, but we never mature to where we start feeding people as we are continually being fed. Here's the thing, though. Jesus sets this idea of move into place from the very beginning of the New Testament. Now, if you have a Bible, you don't have to do this. You can go home and do it. It's a fun thing. The last book of the Old Testament is the book of Malachi. It's the last book of the Old Testament. The first book of the New Testament is the book of Matthew. Now, I don't know if you guys knew this. There is 400 years between the book of Malachi and the book of Matthew, a 400-year gap. It's called the 400 years of silence where God did not give any new revelations or word to mankind. 400 years of silence between God and man. Now, when that silence was eventually broken was the birth of Jesus, Not only is God going to speak to humanity again, he's going to speak to them eye to eye, right? He's going to look at them. So 400 years goes by, Jesus is born, and then at age 30, Jesus publicly speaks. His ministry begins, and it officially begins in Matthew chapter 5. It's something called the Sermon of the Mount. Now, if you've never read the Sermon of the Mount, Matthew 5, 6, and 7, you should It's beautiful, and it's practical, and it's applicable. You should read that. It'll take you 15 minutes. But in chapter 5, Jesus, God on earth, opens up with what is called the Beatitudes. This is the stuff that when you go into people who are much more spiritual than you, they have it like in their kitchen, you know, like blessed are the meek and stuff like that. That stuff you get at like uh, uh, whatever the place is, Hobby Lobby, right? The Beatitude stuff, right? That's what Jesus opened up with. (laughs) And so he opens up with the Beatitudes and he starts talking, blessed are the poor, blessed are the meek, blessed are the poor in spirit. And it's very, very encouraging. And then all of a sudden, Jesus drops a bomb on humanity. And the bomb is this. 
He looks at his followers. He looks at people, God on earth, and he says, now you are the salt and the light. He was implying that if the world is going to become a better place, you're going to be the one responsible for it. Now, this doesn't mean that we're the saviors. It doesn't technically mean that we're the light, but we are the ones who are the vessels. We're the ones that deliver the message of salvation. We're the ones that hold the light. Jesus is the light, but we're the ones that present the light and take the light into the darkness. Jesus, God on earth, looks at humanity after 430 years and he says, you're going to do something amazing. We were waiting for a savior, which he came, but he said, I'm gonna transfer some responsibility to you. So you can see the setup, right? Early on in Jesus's ministry, he encourages his people. He says, you're going to be the salt and the light. And then he tells them how to live. If you're going to be the salt and light, there's a certain way. Jesus says, I want you to live. So not only is he setting us up to be world changers, he's going to show us how to do it. He's going to walk through this process with us. So in Matthew chapter five, he says, you're the salt and the light. And then throughout the rest of the Sermon on the Mount, he says, love each other. Pray, he even tells us how to pray. Fast, he says, tell the truth. Give to people. And he says, remember to always depend on me because I'm gonna help you, right? So God says, you're gonna go and you're gonna do amazing things, but you are incapable of doing this unless I walk with you. So God on earth, right, Jesus, said that we are to be the ones to go out and to be the salt and the light. Now, how in the world is that possible? Going back to Matthew 28, 19, and 20, he commanded us, go. Go out all over to every nation, to every kind of person, baptize, teach, and tell them what I've told you. That's what I want you to do. Now, in Matthew, he tells us what to do. In the book of Acts, in chapter 1, He tells us how we're going to be able to do that. He says it's by the power of the Holy Spirit. Now, I don't know why so many Christians are so uncomfortable talking about the Holy Spirit. Jesus made it crystal clear there is no church without the Holy Spirit. It's interesting to me. The one thing that God sent to unite the believers is the one thing that often divides us, the Holy Spirit. And we don't want to talk about the Holy Spirit, but we have to have the Holy Spirit in order to go out and be the salt and light. Second Peter said this, or Peter said this in Second Peter. He said, God has given us everything we need to live a godly life. So whenever people come up to me and they just say, man, no one can live a godly life. Yes, you can. The Bible says you can. But in order to live a godly life, we have to know him, Peter says. We have to have a relationship with God. And when we have a relationship with God, we get filled with the Spirit of God. And when we are full of the Spirit of God, listen, this is where it gets very important. When we are full of the Spirit of God and God continues to pour into us, it runs out. And that Holy Spirit that overflows out of us, that's what changes our families. That's what changes our neighborhoods. That's what changes our school systems. That's what changes universities and cities and nations and other parts of the world that overflow out of the Christians that are continually being poured into by the Holy Spirit. It runs out and it changes people's lives around us. Paul also talked a lot about the Holy Spirit, specifically about the gifts of the Holy Spirit. This is where you guys get all squirmy in your seat, right? 
In 1 Corinthians 12, 13, and 14, Paul says, don't be afraid of the gifts of the Holy Spirit. Paul says, don't be ignorant. Be educated about the gifts of the Spirit. We have to be educated about the gifts of the Spirit that God has given us because without them, we cannot go out and edify the body of God. We cannot go out and reach people the way we should. So the gifts of the Spirit that Paul talks about, discernment, knowledge, faith, healing, wisdom. Boy, that's a gift we need big time right now. Prophecy, miracles, speaking in tongues, the interpretation of tongues. These are tools not to edify us, not to lift us up, not so we can say we're more spiritual than person X, but these are gifts given to us so we can advance God's kingdom, bless other people, raise up the church, and do good things for those around us. The bottom line with with the Holy Spirit is this. If we have been told to go, God is going to equip us to go, but if we do not have the Holy Spirit with us, even if we do the greatest things imaginable, if we don't have the Holy Spirit with us, inevitably we are going to fail. If you and I got together today, 11 o'clock service, and we came up with a plan to completely alleviate world hunger, that's what we're going to do today, right? We're going to get together and solve world hunger today. That's what we do, and we accomplish that. And next week, we all get together and there is not a hungry person on planet Earth. If we have not invited the Holy Spirit to do that with us, if we have not shared the news of Jesus Christ and the gospel that saves them, even if there is no hungry person left on planet Earth, we have failed. We have failed. Because people need to hear about Christ. He is our only pathway from this life into the next. And God wants to show us grace and God wants to empower us but we have to invite the Holy Spirit to lead us if we're going to do great things for his kingdom. So what does it mean to go, right? This whole idea of the great commission that every single one of us in this room has been commanded by Jesus himself to go. What does that mean? Well, the first thing it means is this. It means that the gospel, the message of Jesus is the main objective. Paul said that no one can be saved unless they hear the gospel and receive the gospel. Paul told Timothy that first and foremost, Jesus came to save sinners. Now the goal of every good deed that you and I do, it should be the end result of everything good we do, from the smallest good deed to the biggest good deed. The hope in the good things that we do is to glorify our Father in heaven and to show people that God loves them and to hopefully connect the person we do the good deed for to Jesus. That should be our goal. That's not a bait and switch, guys. I would be doing people a disservice if I loved on them. We love to say that in Christianity. We're loving on them. We're not truly loving on them to the way that we should if we don't connect them to Jesus Christ, or at least give them the opportunity to connect with Jesus Christ. But there's a catch to that. The reason why we do good things for people is to show that God is good. And the reason why, Jesus says that we need to let our light shine before men and let our good works glorify our Father in heaven. If we're going to tell people about Jesus, we need to first show them how a Christian should act. This is why I'm against you just running up to people in the streets and being like, hey, do you know Jesus? If you don't, you're gonna go to hell, right? That doesn't work. No one likes to talk to that person, right? No one likes to argue about things. 
I have not seen, I don't know if I've seen anybody come to a saving faith in Jesus by someone just arguing and slamming Jesus on people. We first and foremost need to do good things for them. And the big reason in our generation, guys, the church has hurt a lot of people. Religion has hurt a lot of you. I won't make you do it. But if I were to ask everyone to stand up in this place who has been hurt by a church or hurt by religion, I dare say a majority of you would probably stand up. Now, that doesn't mean there's anything wrong with Jesus. And I would even say there, it doesn't even mean there's necessarily anything wrong with the church. I love the church. But there have been some bad churches and religion has hurt some people. And we have to build back the reputation of the church and we have to show people that God loves them and it has to happen through us. So where do we start? I recommend you start in your literal neighborhood, where you live. You need to know the people that live on your block. It means you gotta get to know them. You have to do good things for them. I don't know if you need to trim their yard or bake them cookies or invite them over for a barbecue or whatever you gotta do. But you have to get to know the people in your neighborhood. Let me brag on myself for a second, right? I live on a cul-de-sac. I know Don that lives here. I know Chuck and Katie that live here. I know Chad that lives here. And then my other neighbor, Jim, he passed away. But I cut Jim's yard more than Jim cut Jim's yard. In the 30 years he lived there, in the four years I lived next door to him, I would cut this guy's yard all the time because I was, when I first bought that house, everyone told me how mean of a person Jim was. I said, well, we'll just see, Right? So I, I, I found out that Jim did dialysis. He had kidney failure. So I'd mow Jim's yard all the time. You know what ended up happening? When holidays would roll around, Jim would buy my kids presents. Then he would bake cookies for my kids and he would do stuff. When Jim eventually passed away, because he had really bad kidney issues, when he passed away, I was the one that did Jim's funeral. Jim loved our family. And I'm not just trying to brag on me, but it just took me mowing his yard one time and he came out and he said some words that I can't say, but he was like, why in the, mm, are you mowing my yard? And I was like, because I want you to like me, right? You know, so, but I would mow his yard all the time and help him take care of his home. But all of our neighbors did that for Jim. That's what neighbors do. Here's the other thing about this. If you come to me and you want to take a trip with me to Africa or go to El Salvador if God has told you to change the continent of Europe or something like that, but you have never done anything in your city, you don't need to go somewhere else. If you have not done something in your own backyard, you have no business going and trying to change the continent of Africa. You need to do something in your own area. Look, only 30% of Rutherford County goes to any kind of house of worship. And we brag in this area, we're in the Bible Belt, everyone's a Christian. No, they're not. Only 30% of our, our community says they go to any kind of house of worship. That involves Islam, that involves Buddhism, that involves Unitarian churches. So it's probably roughly about 25% of our town, one out of every four, goes to church somewhere. People in your city, your neighborhood, need to hear the gospel and they need to be shown the gospel by how you live. We also need to get involved in our city. Bill Hybels said the church, the local church, is the hope of the city. And we know that Jesus is the musician, but we are the instruments that Jesus chooses to use to reach the city. So we need to be present in our city, which means we need to build relationships. 
you guys are going to think this is so dumb, but I make it a point to go to the same coffee shops all the time. I make it a point to go to the same grocery store all the time. That's because I get to know people at those places. Hey, I don't want to brag, but I've been customer of the week at Starbucks three times. <laughs> three times. Twice at Old Fort, and this week I'm customer of the week at the Memorial Starbucks. Now, again, here's what's interesting. The person that nominated me for customer, that cost me a lot of money, by the way, to be customer of the week. <laughs> the person that recommended I be customer of the week at the Starbucks on Memorial is not a believer. But over time, I have gotten to know this guy who he and I live very different lifestyles and disagree on a ton of stuff. But we've become friends. We've become buddies. And my picture on Starbucks Instagram page is a selfie of me and him. Like, I think we have like bunny ears or something. It's like a Snapchat filter. But anyways, we're on there, and he's the one that recommended I be customer of the week. But we need to build relationships. When you go to the gym, the person that scans your little thing, like, get to know them. The person that works in the grocery store line all the time, get to know them. Volunteer at a nonprofit. Get involved at the PTO at your kid's school. Get involved at MTSU. Get involved in 5000 or BAR or one of the ministries we do here that goes out. Pour into your city. Pour into your city. Also nationally. Now, I know this isn't practical. I know that we can't like really get involved in other parts of the country in a practical manner. But when you give to this church, we sponsor four churches in New England. We give $40,000 a year to four churches in New England. And in those areas, like Burlington, Vermont, Salem, Mass., uh, Manchester, New Hampshire, and Albany, New York, the percentage of people who go to church up there is between 2 and 5%. So here it's 1 in 4, roughly, or, or 1 in 3. There it's 2 out of every 100 people claim to be Christians. We talk about going and saving Europe. We need to save Vermont. We need to save Massachusetts. We need to save uh, New Hampshire. We need to save New York. We have places just right up north of us that need Jesus in a huge way. We can pray for them. We can give to them. We can support them in some way. We also have our planet, right? I'll be honest with you guys. I never had a heart for foreign missions until this year. Never had a heart for it. I had a heart for going up to New England. I had a heart for doing stuff in the city. I never had a heart for foreign missions. But Jesus directly tells us to go to all nations, all ends of the earth. I don't know if you guys know this, one of the most misconstrued scriptures in the Bible, when Jesus said, you're going to do greater things than me, he didn't mean miracles. You ever heard people say that? That's really bad theology. Whenever people are like, we're going to do greater miracles than Jesus. Now, look, let me just put that in perspective. Jesus was murdered, raised himself from the dead, and gave salvation to all of humanity. You're not going to do anything better than that. Just clearing it up for everybody in the room, right? So what Jesus meant by that is Jesus meant, I'm going to share the, the news of the kingdom of heaven in this little bitty space called Israel, 180 square miles, right? Jesus said, you're going to take it to the entire globe. You're going to do things bigger than me. You're going to go to the entire world. Jesus even said when his disciples asked him, Lord, when are you going to come back? He said, when you have taken the gospel to the entire world. When everyone has had the opportunity to hear about me, then I'll come back. Matthew 24, 14. Another thing about our planet, in the United States, we have a very myopic view of humanity. That means you can only see things really, really close to your face. We have a lot of first world problems in the United States. Oh man, can you pray for my friend? She only has an iPhone 5. 
right? We like really think that life is tough around here, and it's really not, guys. We forget that in other parts of the world, it is brutal. Sometimes it's brutal because of the physical poverty, right? That, that they are just poor and they are starving. In other places, if you go to certain places in Europe, they have everything materially, but spiritually they are dead. And there is so much poverty in those kinds of places. So the reason that we are called to go out is that God gave us the greatest gift he could ever give us. That was his son, and that was salvation through his son. And now we are the ones that his son has called to say, now take this out. You are now responsible for delivering this message to the most depraved places on planet earth. That might be on the other side of earth, or it may be in the neighborhood next to yours. It may be in your school. It may be at your work. But we are to take the light into the darkest corners. Now this year, Kyle and I both got to go on mission trips. Now this is a picture from Togo, Africa. And uh, Kyle got to go with a guy named Joe Progar and, and uh, mentor leaders. And in this certain village, I'm going to get it wrong and he'll correct me later, but in this village, I think eight years ago, no one knew who Jesus, who, who Jesus Christ was. Is that right, David? About eight years ago, no one knew who Jesus was in this area. This group of people went in there, they started building up the community, they started doing a lot of great things in this area, and I don't know how many people are in this picture, there's quite a few in that picture, but they worship together, they have a pastor out there, they're connected, and a lot of people have given their lives to Jesus. Kyle was able to go out there, and he raised a bunch of money, a lot of you in this church gave money so Kyle could buy a bunch of instruments, drums and trumpets and keyboards and all these things, and he brought all these things, shipped them over there to this very remote area in Togo. And so they went out there and Kyle was doing like a music camp for them and showing them how to play instruments. And guys, we take so many things for granted. Man, like our worship here is so wonderful. And you go to other places where they just don't have the resources. They don't have the money. They may have the talent, but they've never had the opportunity to foster and nurture that talent. And so the fact that our church could send someone over there to show these people how to do different things. And so eventually one day they can have the kind of worship that we get to experience. Um, this is the orphanage that I went and visited back in April in Uganda. Uh, this building, if I had to guess, is about 1,200 square feet. Very, very small. It's got a boy's wing and a girl's wing and then a little room in between that's maybe eight by eight that they would call a living room. Now, in this little orphanage in Uganda, this is in Kakira in, in Uganda, they have anywhere from 30 to 65 kids that sleep in this 1,200 square foot building every day. What they do is they take bunk beds and they stack them three or four high and then two kids per bed and they have them like touching each other, crammed into these small rooms. This is one of the girls that I met there. If you ever get to go to Africa with, with me or with uh, any other kind of organization, the kids over there, they like literally like hang on you, right? Like you're walking and there's like kids just, it's, it's like a game. Kids are just all over you. And we're walking around and I'm in this orphanage and these kids are just all over me and there's this one girl. She wouldn't have anything to do with Josh or me or Mike or anyone else that, that, that went over there. She wouldn't even look at men and she would barely talk to women. And one day, I asked the pastor, Pastor John, I said, hey, her name's Scovia. I said, what's up with Scovia? She's always like, she's like the emo kid. She's always wearing the thing on her head and doesn't want to look at anyone. And I said, what's up with her? She's about 14 years old. John said when she was about 10 years old, she came home from school one day and her mom and dad were having an argument and she walked in. She didn't even try to stop it, but her dad 
turned on her, knocked her down, and started stomping on her stomach and her ribs. Um, started to rip a bunch of internal organs, and she had all this internal bleeding. And they took her to a hospital, which hospitals there, guys, I mean, it's like something that we would have had here in the, in the early 1800s, maybe. Very archaic. And most of the hospitals there are Muslim, and they won't even see you if you're not a Muslim, or unless you convert to Islam, they won't even see you. But they, they saw Scovia. They brought her in. They didn't have any way to put her to sleep or any way to numb her. They strapped down her arms and legs, and they cut her open, and they started to work on her internal organs. John said he could hear the screaming and just this, this just awful scream coming as they were working on this kid, and she's been at the orphanage ever since. Um, this is kind of the terrain. Again, just to show you just that it just goes beyond us. This is why God told us to go. If you look in this area, the orphanage that we work on, it would be right over here to kind of the right of the screen. This trench that's dug right here, it had just rained, and it doesn't rain there much, but they have a, a, a rainy season it had rained a little bit, and most of this is not water. It's a combination of human waste and animal waste, and there's this alcohol that the villages will make. They put it in these 50-gallon drums, and it's not like a, like a Coors Light or something. I mean, it's this disgusting kind of toxic sludge that they make, and they'll pour it into bottles that they find on the ground, and kids as young as three and four and then people as old as whatever will drink this to stay intoxicated so they don't have to think about how bad of their life is. So little kids around this area, it's very common to see three and four-year-olds walking around completely naked, digging through just heaps of trash, trying to find something that is edible, that they can just sustain themselves a little bit longer and, and live. Um, the majority of this community is widows. Uh, uh, their husbands have passed away, and they're left with lots of kids, and they don't know what to do with them. Um, this is in Jinja. Uh, it's kind of the, the more urban area close to, uh, it's real close to the Nile River, but it's close to Kakira. We would go there some days, and this is me handing what's called a chapate. It's like a thick tortilla to one of the kids. These are street kids. If you've ever seen the movie The Lost Boys, I mean, these kids are the Lost Boys. It's literally gangs of children, and they're homeless, and they do all they can to survive in the cities, and, and, and they will steal, and they'll run, and like they do whatever they can to just survive. What we'll do is we go out there and we let all the street kids know. We'll, we'll like pick a meeting time. Hey, we'll meet you in the park at, you know, 11. And all the kids show up and we give them some food. We give them some soda. We'll buy them a couple of soccer balls and we'll play soccer with them. I didn't really play with them. I just kind of watched them. But uh, they'd play soccer. On the video that I showed when, when I was walking up here, I was with one of the street kids and he was about six years old, six years old. He lives on the streets by himself. And one day this kid was uh, uh, walking around and there was an American there, which there's not very many Americans, but uh, there was an American there that gave him some money. And some other street kids saw this. And when this little six-year-old went around the corner, they tackled this kid, poured fuel on him and lit him on fire and took his money. And so the video at the beginning, when there was a kid who was holding his shirt up and I was dabbing some peroxide on him, I met this kid and he had all these bad burn marks on his stomach and there was an infection setting in to where he wasn't healing up. So I went down to a local pharmacy, I guess you'd call it, bought some peroxide and I'm just cleaning this kid up and bandaging him up a little bit. Six years old, lives on his own. This is a woman, and some of you have heard this story. Uh, this is a fun story. We go around and, and again, we help people, we feed them, we do all we can to help them live but the most important thing is the gospel. And so we would go around from kind of uh, home to home, 
and we would pray with the widows and we would pray with the orphans and we would give them a, a big block of soap. That's what that is right there. So they can wash their clothes and wash their body and we'll give them a bag of sugar, you know, just as something nice to give them. We'll give them a bag of sugar. And then we ask them if they know Jesus and we'll pray for them. Well, we're going home to home and I get to this lady's home. And uh, I sit, I, I get up and I, I kneel down next to her and I got my Swahili translator here and my Lugandan translator here and, and um, I bend down and I give this woman the soap, give her the sugar and I say, hey, do you know Jesus? And if not, can I tell you about Jesus? And she just didn't want to talk to me. She goes, I'm a Muslim. And I said, okay, that's fine. Well, Muhammad believed in Jesus too, so can I tell you about Jesus, right? And um, she kind of, you know, nods, okay. And so I start telling her kind of walk her through the gospel, tell her about the cross and the death and the burial and the, the resurrection and how God loves her and God's going to come back one day, one day and, and bring us uh, you know, to, to a wonderful place to live for eternity and sharing all this with her. And in the middle of this, this woman cuts me off. She says, okay, okay, you know, and she tells me to stop. And she says, look, I haven't been able to walk in three years and I have asked Allah to heal my legs and he will not heal my legs. She pointed at me and she goes, can your God heal my legs? And without thinking, I just went, yeah, Jesus can do that. And then I was like, oh boy, all right. Um, so instantly I just said, yeah, Jesus can heal your legs. And so she was just kind of thinking for a second. She was kind of caught off guard. And I said, can I, can I pray for you? I don't know if I asked or not. I might not have even asked. But I just leaned forward. I put my hand on her leg. I told my translators, I'm going to do my best to, to go slow, but my Pentecostal roots kind of came out, and I just started praying for this lady. So I'm praying for this lady. I got my hand on her knee, and in my head, I'm speaking words out loud, but in my head, I'm like, God, please, please show up in a big way right here. Like, I'm, I put it all out there, right? Praying for this lady, and absolutely nothing happens. Nothing. I get up. My translators, they're discouraged. They're like, Pastor, come on. She doesn't want to talk to you. Like, nothing's happening here. Let's go. So we did. Went around to three or four more, more homes, met a couple of young men and met a couple of widows and, and prayed with some kids and went around and get back on the street and I'm going back to kind of where the orphanage is and there's this big kind of trench that goes down from where the street is and all of a sudden I hear someone yelling at me, Mazunga, Mazunga, that means white person. You, you, you can't get away with that in the United States. You can't just like yell people's skin color at them. That's, that's not cool here. It's fine in Africa. You can do that, right, in Uganda. So she's yelling. She goes, Mazunga, Mazunga, Mazunga. And I happen to have my phone on me, and I glance over, and this is what I see. Yeah. So <laughs> she's pointing at me in that picture. <laughs> I mean, she was looking at me, and she goes, Mazunga. And I find, got my attention, and I, I mean, I almost dropped my phone, and my two translators were sitting there like that. And she goes, Mazunga. And then she goes, and looked at me and smiled, and I just ran down there, ran down this little trench. This, this, this old lady grabbed me by the arm, starts parading me around the village, and she's talking, and I don't understand what she's saying. And everyone's coming out of their little huts and their little places where they live, and they're all looking, and they're all just in shock because they've never seen, a lot of them never seen her walk. And she's walking around, and uh, I didn't put the picture up there because I look like a goober. I'm wearing shorts and, like, rain boots. It's, it's not good. But anyways... <laughs> So all these people are coming out, and they're in shock. And then all of a sudden, everyone starts laughing at me. And I ask my translators, I'm like, why are they laughing at me? And they go, oh, yeah, yeah, she's telling everyone that you're her new husband. <laughs> and I was like, no, 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 no. I have my own mazunga. 
back home, little, little mazungas, all that stuff. Back in the States. Here's, <laughs> here's the neatest part about that story, though. It's not that this woman was walking after three years. It was that day she gave her life to Jesus Christ. She accepted the gospel. She accepted Christ. And I hope to see this woman in November. I'm going back in November, and I hope to see her in November. And there's a little church about, about 100 feet away from where her home is. And I'm going to pray, and I hope that she's been going and they've been staying in touch with her. Here's the thing, guys. Every single person in this room is called to go. I don't know what go means for you. I don't know if that's your school. I don't know if that's your work. I don't know if that's just your family or your neighbor. I don't know what that is, but I know that we're all called to go. I believe all of us have a financial obligation. Listen, I'm not trying to be political. I'm not trying to be any of that. We have been blessed so much in this nation. I think God has given us much so we can be responsible with much and give a lot of it away. We live so good. And if you have been out of this country and come back in, we live in paradise. And I think that we are called. If you study the book of Acts, the majority of the trips that Paul was taking, he had money from the affluent areas to take it to the poor areas because that's the heart of Jesus. We have a financial obligation. We also have an obligation. All of us in this room have an obligation to do good things. That means mow your neighbor's yard. That means buy the office coffee or donuts. That means do nice things for people. It might be something as simple as your neighborhood. It might be something as big as traveling to the other side of the world. But we are all called to show love. We're also, all of us, called to pray and fast for other people. Every single night, you can ask my children, every single night, I go to both of their beds, I pray with both of them individually, and the last thing we always pray for is for our neighbors. And we mention them by name. And we pray, God, keep your hand on uh, Katie and Chuck. God, keep your hand on Don. Keep your hand on Chad and his wife. Lord, keep your hand on all the neighbors we don't know. We pray for them. We need to do this. All of us in this room, we need to get to know the people who live around us, and we need to treat them the way that we would like to be treated. We need to get to know the people on our block, get to know the people on our cul-de-sac or in our neighborhood. We need to be present in our city. We need to be serving in our city. We need to get to know our city. We need to be in the Lions Club and the Rotary Clubs and the PTOs. And we need to be on school boards. We need to be out in the community. We need to be serving in some way in the nonprofits. And we need to be giving back. We live in a wonderful city, but it can be better. And it's up to us to be the light and the salt. We need to be praying for our nation. There are parts of our country that are, are, are considered post-Christian. The Northeast, the Northwest, they have moved beyond Christianity. And guys, this is another note. Instead of constantly complaining about how bad we have it, which we don't have it bad, but instead of complaining about our nation so much, why don't we pray for our nation? We're the citizens of it. If it's going to hell, I think some of that is our fault, that we need to go out and we need to be the salt and light in our nation. And if, if, if you have never been called to mission work to go out somewhere, A, I, I would like for you to pray, consider going on a mission trip with us. I hope in the, in the spring of next year, I hope on, on starting to take a lot of teams to Africa. We take teams to El Salvador 
We take teams to, I know this is domestically, but to Roanoke, Virginia, to work at the Salvation Army there. We do these trips, and we're starting to do more and more of them. If you haven't done one of those, from a guy whose life it changed, it'll change your life. If you don't feel called to go, pay for someone else to go. And if you don't feel called to pay for someone else to go, sponsor a child, either through compassion or through mentor leaders. It's like $38 a month. My wife and I, and again, I'm not trying to brag on me, but we have set aside $38 a month for, I guess, about the last four years for a child. And it's, it's not that much money. I know college students, college students at this church who have three or four kids that they sponsor. It gives them health care. It gives them food. It gives them shelter. And it really doesn't cost us much. Think about that. The bottom line is this, though, guys. You and I have to earn the right to present Jesus to people. We have to earn that right. And the way we earn that right is we do good things. Not so we can receive glory, not so we can put it up on Snapchat or Instagram or Facebook and everyone can know how wonderful we are. We do good deeds because it glorifies our Father in heaven and it directs people to God. And once we have earned the right to speak to people, once we have built a rapport in our community, in our neighborhoods, in our schools, in our workplace, once people trust us, you need to share two things with them. You first need to share your story. You need to share your testimony. John writes in the book of Revelation, there's two ways to overcome Satan, by the blood of the lamb and by the word of our testimony. You need to share your story and you also need to share the most important thing that God has ever given you, the gospel. The good news that there is a God in heaven that loves us, that gave his son for us and is coming back for us. You need to share that. There is nothing greater you can do than share Jesus with someone. That is what will change the world, Christ. Christ will change the world. Would you bow your heads with me, please? If you're in this room and, and maybe you're new or, or, or maybe you just haven't thought of this as being that big of a deal, there is communion all the way around us. The bread and the juice symbolize the body and blood of the Son of God that died for our sins, that has forgiven us, forgiven us of our sins, has taken away our shame and our guilt. Not just that, communion represents that God gave us the Holy Spirit that when we're told to go, God doesn't leave us alone. God doesn't say, go out by yourself. He is with us. He says, even till the ends of the age, He is with us. Everyone in this room, if you have given your life to Jesus and repented of your sins, communion is there. So you can take the time and remember how big of a deal this is and what God has done for us. If you're in this place and maybe you're not a Christian, but you have questions, or if you feel something and you just want someone to talk to about it, Dave is up here to my right, your left. If you need someone to talk to, if you don't know what the next step is, please come talk to Dave. There's also people, here, people up here at the front, men and women. If you need prayer for anything, anything, please let someone pray for you, please. But here's how I want to pray for you today before we do this. I want to pray that wherever your go is, 
I want to pray that you are full of the Holy Spirit. I want to pray that your relationship with God is strong, not just for you, but there are people around you that need what you have. There are people at your job, there are people at your, uh, at your school, there are people on your block, there are people at your grocery stores and your coffee shops, they need what you have. They need salvation. They need hope. They need a God that loves them and you are the ones commissioned to go to them and to share that. Father, right now, I pray, Lord, for everyone in this room, whatever their go is, Lord, strengthen them, encourage them, fill them with your Holy Spirit, God, lead them and direct them. Lord, let us live a life of repentance and purity, God, Lord. Let us live a life that is dependent on you, desperately dependent on you. Lord, give us the words and the wisdom to share what you've given us, God, with others, Lord, let us do good deeds from our neighborhoods to other continents. Lord, let us do good deeds so you will get the glory, you will get the honor, and that people will come to a relationship, a salvation relationship with you, God. We love you, Lord. We thank you. Bless my brothers and sisters in this room, God. We pray all of this in your son's name, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. I love you guys so much. You're welcome to help yourself. Thank you, guys.